I am drinking, answered the drunkard lugubriously. Why are you drinking? The little prince asked. In order to forget, replied the drunkard. To forget what? inquired the little prince. To forget that I am ashamed, the drunkard confessed. Ashamed of what? asked the little prince who wanted to help. Ashamed of drinking, concluded the drunkard. This excerpt from the little prince is a perfect example of what we call a vicious cycle or some a vicious circle. The, the man drinks to forget he's ashamed of drinking, but the more he drinks, the more ashamed he becomes of drinking, and so he drinks more. That's a vicious circle, isn't it? A, a situation in which one problem causes another problem, making the original problem impossible to solve. Maybe you've experienced this vicious circle. Every time you sneeze, you need a tissue. But every time you pull a tissue out of the box, it stirs up more dust and makes you sneeze again, which makes you need another tissue, right? A vicious circle. Sometimes I think we find ourselves stuck in spiritual vicious circles. We sin. Sin breaks us down, weakens us, deceives us into believing, why bother trying not to sin? So we sin more. And the more we sin, the less we desire to see God, and the less we see God, the more we sin. Did that make sense to anybody? Can you relate to it? Please, somebody besides me, can you relate to it? Yes. God wants better for us than that. God provides better for us than that. In fact, God can break the vicious circle. We can be pure in heart so that we can see God. Is that good news? That's good news. Pray that's what we are convinced of this morning as we come to our passage. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter. If you have your Bibles with you, I ask you to turn to that gospel, and when you've found your place in Matthew 5, I'm going to ask you to stand. As we hear read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, once again, as always, we are so thankful for your word. The truth it brings to our life, the hope it brings to our souls. We thank you that when your Holy Spirit joins the truth of your word, real change takes place. Great possibilities present themselves to us for our own lives and for the work of your kingdom. So thank you for this time together. Bless us now with understanding and application as we come together around your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we're taking this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, in two parts. So if you weren't here last week, we talked about the last part of the beatitude, seeing God. We can see God. We can see God. So what adjective do we use to describe the privilege that God, the God of the universe, gives to us in being able to see Him? Tremendous? Stupendous? Monumental? Astounding? Mind-boggling that we can see God? What adjective do we use to describe the change that comes to your life and my life when we actually do see God? Tremendous? Stupendous? Monumental? Astounding? How can your life not be blessed when you are truly seeing the living God, the one who is all glory and grace and greatness and goodness and love and compassion and mercy and light? How can your life not flourish when you are seeing this one? How can you not have a new vision for your life when you're seeing God? How can you not want to live radically without fear of being radical when you're seeing God? How can you not live with boldness and confidence when you can really see the one and only true and living God? Perhaps these are some of the realities for which King David longed in his life. They caused him to to proclaim, to sing out without equivocation, one thing have I asked of the Lord. And that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I pray that you and I will be just that bold and just that unequivocal because we want those realities in our lives. Because we want our lives to flourish. Because we want to live radically, revisioned, bold and confident lives for the Lord. And because we know that none of those realities will be accomplished unless you and I can see God. And so I pray that together we as a congregation long to see the Lord more and more and more and more. And if that's the longing among us, if that's what we really want, as individuals and as a congregation, then when we understand Jesus' words to us this morning, then we can be encouraged that we will be able to see him more and more. Jesus says here, the pure in heart shall see God. Now, you might say, "Uh uh-oh, in this moment, because you know what is in your heart. And so this promise might not sound very encouraging to you. And you might be tempted to step into that vicious circle. I can't see God because my heart is not pure, and my heart is not pure because I can't see God. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let's understand what Jesus is really saying here. And in order to accomplish this, we need to consider two key words, two key words of this beatitude, which are pure in heart, 
And these words will lead us to two characteristics that you and I must display if we are to be pure in heart. So let's start with the first word, heart. In the image of Scripture, and you know this, the heart is the center of a person's being. What you think comes from your heart. What you feel comes from your heart. What you say comes from your heart. What you do comes from your heart. You and I relate to each other, or at least we should, heart to heart. We relate to God, the Father, heart to heart. As far as God is concerned, everything about you, everything that works together to make your life, your life, comes from your heart. Proverbs 4.23 sums it up this way. From the heart flow the springs of life. From the heart flow the springs of life. So life, whatever it looks for you right now or whatever it's going to look like for you in the future, it springs from, it originates from, it finds its source in our hearts. Now you and I are very concerned about the source of something in many areas of our lives. We have great concern that we get our information from a trusted source, right? Not a lying source. We only eat food that comes from a source we trust. We only want to drink water that comes from a clean source. So what kind of source is our heart? Is it a good source? Is it a source we can trust? God has some very clear answers for those questions. The very first time the word heart appears in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 6. It's just before Noah and the flood. And humanity has absolutely hit rock bottom. So God says this in Genesis 6 verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, all the time. God is superlative right here in speaking about the human heart. Not some intentions of the heart, every intention. Not some evil, but only evil. Not sometimes, but all the time. And though it's tough for us to hear, the human heart's not pure. And so this verse is followed by the story of Noah and the great flood. And perhaps we think, oh, the flood brought about a great cleansing, a great washing of the human heart. Unfortunately, that's not the case. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years later, writes this. Chapter 1, verse 5. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is sick. Once again, the Spirit of God inspires His prophet to record a superlative view of the human heart condition. It isn't mostly sick. It's entirely sick. The human heart is not pure. The prophet Jeremiah in verse seven, chapter 17, verse 9 writes, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it? Once again, superlative language about the human heart above all else, Scripture says. More than anything else, the human heart is deceitful, insidious, 
desperately sick. Now this is God's assessment of the human heart of which he has perfect, penetrating vision. God proclaims this to be true about the heart because this is what God sees when he looks inside the human heart. The human heart is not pure. It's not good. We don't like to hear it, but it's true. Our hearts are not good, and so here's the problem. Our culture, by and large, does not believe this to be true. In fact, it believes the opposite of this, that that we're good in heart. And it's not just the culture, but the church. I heard a preacher preaching to approximately 30,000 people. It's the last time I listened to him, but he said this. That's why I stopped listening to him. Don't let anyone tell you you're a sinner. You might do bad things, but you are no sinner. <laughs> anyway, that, that's what he said. Very many people believe that humans are basically good at heart, and so we make decisions based on that premise. And then we end up with one failed or one abused system after the other, systems that were perhaps put in place by well-intentioned people who assume that everyone is good at heart. But if we were good at heart, there would be no abuse of our systems. No abuse of the tax system. No abuse of the welfare system. No abuse of the social security system. Not by good-hearted people. No abuse and insurance billing. Not by good-hearted people. Reasonable protections put in place to protect our environment for, for us and for our children would be upheld instead of skirted by good-hearted people. We wouldn't need powerful lobbies or powerful lobbyists in a world where we're basically good at heart because big-hearted, good corporations and employers would commit to doing what was best for everyone, even if it meant a little less profit. Legislators would do what's best because they would be immune to bribes and special incentives to make them do other. If we were good at heart, you and I could watch CNN or Fox News. Because both would report the truth, the news honestly, because they only have one agenda, and that is to present the truth without spin. If we were basically good at heart, we would allow anyone to sit on any seat they chose on the bus, and anyone could drink from any water fountain to to have the fresh water that it provides if we were basically good at heart. If we were basically good at heart, road rage would not have entered the dictionary. The first usage being 1988. Because if we were good at heart, we wouldn't mind if someone got in front of us in traffic or in line at the grocery store. So we have a choice to make right now. We have to decide if our culture is right or if God is right. If our culture is right about the human heart, if we are basically good, then all you need right now is just a little self-help. A little self-help, a little determination to be better than you are, and then you're all set. You're ready to go. All that's necessary is a little more pride. A little more pride in yourself and all that you can achieve. But if that's possible for us, If we can make ourselves better, why would God make this very strange promise? Strange promise. Ezekiel chapter 36. 
God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Why would the God who created us Why would the God who searches our hearts offer something to you and to me that we don't really need? If your heart's basically good, needing only a little spit shine here and there, then why would God say to us that He would cleanse us, that He would give us a new heart? And why in the world would Jesus have to come to die on the cross for us? God promises it because we need it. Jesus came because we need a new heart. We're proud. We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to need it. But guess what? We do need it. We read Isaiah 1, 5 earlier. The whole heart is sick. A few verses later, in verse 11, we read this. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they? To me, says the Lord. I've More than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. You see, a sick heart only goes through the motions. It doesn't ask. What does God really want from me? What truth really lies behind this requirement to sacrifice? What can I learn about God? What can I learn about myself? No, the sick heart says this, "Ah, here's a ram, not my best one. It's a little lame, it's a little blind, but, but let's just kill it and get this whole thing over with. It's definitely an offering. It is. But it's meaningless because it did not engage the heart. The heart needs help. God's people didn't change much over the course of time. We come to the time of Jesus, the very time that he is teaching these beatitudes on the mountain. And this is what people were like in that day. This is from Mark 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, With some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of elders. And and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, Well, did Isaiah, we just read it, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We can do right things. We can say right things, 
but our hearts can still be far from God. We have a heart problem. On another occasion, the Lord said, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. We have a heart problem. And if we're not humble enough to accept that we have a heart problem, then we'll never be pure in heart. And therefore, we will not see God. And we will never be able to show Him to anyone else. And so the stakes are high right here for us not to be humble. To see God, you must have a pure heart. And to have a pure heart, you must be humble. And so that's the first key characteristic. If you want to have a pure heart, then you must be humble. Humble when you come before the Lord. Let's move now to the second word, pure, and its characteristic trait. The word Jesus uses here for pure means free of adulterating matter, right? It's, it's pure. All the impurities are taken out. And so how do you and I free our hearts from adulterating matter? Let's consider what Jesus is not saying. He is not creating a vicious circle for us. Well, you have to have a pure heart before you can see God. But you need to see God to have a pure heart, but you can't see God if you don't have a pure heart. Jesus would not do that to us. Jesus knows, and we need to understand that we cannot purify our own hearts. We cannot purify our own hearts. Proverbs 20, verse 9 Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. No one can say that. So the second key characteristic associated with purity is dependence. Dependence, humility and dependence. When King David was so broken over the affair he had with Bathsheba, King David did not attempt to purify himself. In that famous prayer he prayed, in Psalm 51, he asked of the Lord, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. You wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The washing, the cleansing, The purification comes from the Lord. And then David prays in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The word David uses here for create is bara. And the first time it's used is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Barashit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Out of nothing, God created Everything that is. In Scripture, this word, bara, is used consistently to refer to God's creative work. So David is saying, my new heart, my clean heart, my pure heart must be your creation, O Lord. And so the blessing and the flourishing that Jesus promises here. 
is for those who depend on the Lord and not on themselves to free themselves from impurities. The Lord wants us to get this. And so he tells the story, the parable, and he told it to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And he said to them, two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I I love making voices for the Pharisees, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. This man is not dependent. Would you agree? Not dependent on the Lord. He saw no need for washing. He saw no need for the creative work of the Lord in his heart. Then the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man is beautifully dependent on the Lord. The apostle Peter wanted to clean himself up. He wanted to be independent. And so when Jesus, with that towel wrapped around his waist, and the bowl of water in his hand, knelt before Peter to wash his feet, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, You have no share with me. I have to do it. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And so Peter comes to this vital realization, and you and I must come to it as well. Lord, I can't do it. Lord, you must do it for me. Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. As well, we have to stop attempting to clean ourselves up. We have to stop expecting others to clean themselves up before they can come to God and see Him. That same Peter who had been washed clean by the Lord, years later, stood up at the Jerusalem Council and he said, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted the Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. It's by faith that you and I can have pure hearts. It's not self-help. It is not self-help. It is faith alone that can purify our hearts. 1 John 1 The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He, He is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. Please don't be deceived. Your heart needs help and Jesus can help it. Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, 
to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It's Christ Jesus who cleanses us. Christ who washes us with water through the word. Christ who makes us radiant. Christ who makes us without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. Do you believe that? And so a pure heart is something that the Lord gladly gives to us. Gladly gives to us. By grace, through faith. And that's the gospel. And listen, there's no bad news here. There's no bad news for you here. It's only good news. The good news is that you have a heart problem. But by the grace of God, He takes care of it for you. Get out of the vicious circle. When you dirty yourself with sin, and you do, and I do, and you know what those sins are for you and your life, you know, you know, when you are the dirtiest. If you don't run first to the Lord, then you don't believe what is true about your heart. If you don't go to Him when you are at your dirtiest, if you think you have to do something to purify yourself before God will receive you again, then you are being dependent on the Lord for what only He can do, and you will not see God. But that's okay with you. Because you don't really want to see God anyway, not right now, not when you're so dirty, because after all, God is angry, and He needs a little time to cool off. Wrong! You can't clean yourself up. Your attempts are futile. But if you understand your heart, if you understand purity, if you have humility, if you're dependent, then you'll go to the Lord often. No matter how sinful or how dirty you feel, you must ask the Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. And with a heart that's purified, you'll be able to see Him. And the more you see Him, the purer you will become. You can say all day long, I don't have a heart problem. I'm basically good at heart, but that won't make it true. And our humanistic culture can say that same thing all day long, and they can ridicule you, and they will, and your belief, and they'll call you antiquated, and they will call you negative, and they will say what you are saying is psychologically damning to the self-esteem of other human beings. But realize that they have nothing else to offer except that false proclamation. The words sound nice. They sound so encouraging, but they are absolutely as meaningless as the offerings that the people brought to the temple of the Lord. And so the truth about these two words, heart and purity, and these two characteristics, humility and dependence, should make you and me desperately compassionate people in all of our relationships. They should make us The accepting ones. We accept that people cannot clean themselves up, and so we stop expecting them to. Instead, we have mercy on them, and we speak the truth in love so that they can find real help and real hope and real cleansing in Jesus. We become the tolerant ones. We tolerate their behavior because we know, we know that apart from the work of the Lord, the source of their actions, the source of their thoughts and words and ideas, 
it's not pure. And so from that source will come impure thoughts and actions and opinions. And so you and I have great compassion for them. So much compassion that we dare to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. All of our relationships will change. We embrace this truth. Your relationship with God will change. When you seek Him to purify you, you will stay closer and closer to Him. And the closer you are to Him, the more clearly you will see Him. And your relationship will change with the Lord. Your relationship with others will change. Love and mercy and compassion will describe those relationships with believers and unbelievers alike. I'm excited. Do you ever notice I get excited from time to time? I got to work on that. But I'm excited about what we can accomplish for the Lord. If we will believe what is true about our hearts and true about the hearts of others. I'm excited because if we believe it, we'll be humble and dependent. And if you and I are all together humble and dependent, we will go to the Lord often for cleansing. And the more He cleanses us, the more all of us here in this room will see Him. What's going to happen in a congregation of people that see the Lord more and more? Please imagine. What difference will we make for Jesus' sake in the city? The more we see Him, the bolder we'll be for Him. The more we'll want to realign our lives to His character. The more we want to revision our lives for what is possible for those who see God because He's purified their hearts. I know that whatever the Lord has in store, when we are humbly dependent on Him, it will be a blessing. It will lead to flourishing for us and for the kingdom of God because Jesus promises, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Let's pray. Father, at this point, we can merely say thank you to you for all that you have done for us. We have an undeniable heart problem that we could never, ever have fixed on our own. Never, never could we have cured or healed our heart. So we say thank you because you love us enough to make us better. You love us enough, Lord, to pour out your grace on us, to give us a new spirit, to give us new hearts. And so we thank you for that, and we pray, Lord, that we would believe this truth. And because we believe it, that we would come to you often, Lord, asking you to keep creating in us a new, fresh, clean heart. Keep coming to you, Lord, because we, we long to see you more and more and more. Lord, change us because we see you. Change our city through us because we see you. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.